Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I am a pastor with a church family network. We actually meet in this building on Sunday evening, so we appreciate your hospitality, your generosity, and um, just the, the home that you've provided our church as it's growing and as we have more people attending. Um, we're a group of friends that meet is for church and homes and storefronts um, in California, Washington, and Iowa. And uh, we've been doing that for the last, gosh, 13 years together. Um, and it's been a great gift uh, to meet Kyle and a lot of you um, in various ways. Um, and there's a lot of ways that our, our people overlap with you guys. And we do business together. We do work together. Kyle and I have lunch every Tuesday at our workplace together. Uh, we pray on Thursdays together. There's just a lot of uh, great opportunity to connect. And so it's fun to be with you this morning and uh, talk about God's word together. Um, you guys have the gift of going through the book of Deuteronomy with Kyle. We got to do this as a church last year, um, and it was a really important time in the life of our church. Um, just learning again from God the simplicity of what it means um, to follow him, to obey him, and as you're talking about in this series, to love him with your whole person. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is the idea of how do we love God from our heart, which there's three parts to this, uh, the heart, uh, the soul, and all of our might. I think Kyle gave me the hardest week because the heart is the part that kicks back. Um, and we all know that uh, we often kick back against God's leadership in our life, against his direction for our life. And so we're going to have to deal with the heart this morning. Um, but I think also we're going to find that God is a very understanding, loving Father who knows that we kick against him uh, even as he's wanting to lovingly lead us. So let's pray this morning that our hearts would be receptive to what he has for us from the text um, and that we'd be able to just know ourselves a little bit better and experience the grace of God that he knows us this well as well. So let's pray together. Jesus, we ask that you would manifest yourself in our presence, that we would hear your voice God, that you would soften our hearts to not kick back quite so hard this morning. Um, Lord, we're grateful for the work that you've done in our hearts, that through the resurrection, there is new life, new hearts um, that can hear your voice and do what you're asking us to do. Lord, may we enjoy your graciousness towards us that's brought forth in this text from Deuteronomy. Let us hear your voice today in your name. Amen. Let's look at these verses together. I just want to look at a few here from Deuteronomy 6 that Kyle uh, read. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 6, and we're going to look at this text together. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And to keep it as simple as possible this morning, all we're going to try to learn is how do we keep his commands, his word, his revelation on our heart? Because that is our part of this relationship with God. We're going to learn a lot about what he does for us, but that's what we're focused on this morning is what does it mean for us to simply keep his words, his revelation on our heart? Starting at the beginning, let's step back for a minute and think about the story that we're hearing. Uh, this is the people of God after they've been rescued from slavery in Egypt. 
They've spent 40 years in the wilderness uh, because they would not trust God to take the promised land when God wanted to give it to them. And so this is a new generation of people who are learning for the first time how to follow God because their parents decided not to. Uh, Their parents had not done the basics of passing on to them the faith and trust in God, even though their parents had experienced a miraculous salvation from the slavery in Egypt. They hadn't passed it on to their kids. And so Moses is giving a second law. That's what it means, Deuteronomy, second law. He's teaching God's revelation to these people again because they don't know what to do. Can we receive the grace of just learning the basics again, that it's okay to say, hey, I didn't get it the first time. And we're actually going to see that in this instruction, God anticipates it's going to take us more than one time to actually internalize and understand his heart for us, his revelation to us, and how we're to live in light of it. So he is a patient God who wants to explain himself over and over and over again. And he simply wants us to respond to him by listening. And now, This is exactly the kind of listening that you as a parent or you as a wife mean, right? When you say, listen to me, what do you mean? You mean, do what I'm saying, which is exactly what God means. So if you're a parent or you're a wife, you know what this means. Hero Israel, listen to what I am saying and do it, okay? So we're all on the same page. We got it. We know what he's saying. He wants us to actually respond to him as the saving king that he is. The whole book of Deuteronomy is like a treaty between a king and little lords. So when a king would take over a land, he would write a treaty that would teach the people how to think and act like he was so that the lords of the land would execute the law in the way that the king would want it to be. And so he's basically telling each one of us, you have a domain, you rule your little domain. And because of my saving work in your life, I want you to learn to think and act like me. And so in the past, for these people, they'd been saved out of the slavery of Egypt. Uh, For this generation itself, they'd been given victory over very powerful kings that they should have lost against, that had honestly supernatural power on their side. And they had won these amazing battles. And God was saying, I have a great promised place for you to live and to rest in me and what I have for you, but to preserve that rest I need you to think and act like me. Now, to think and act like me, you need to hear what I'm saying and actually do it, right? So he is a good king who has saved us, who wants us to think and act like him. And when he says that he wants us to listen, it means just like parents and wives, I want you to actually do what I'm saying, okay? Here's the big picture. Here's the truth, the reality of who God is. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh is the one true God. He's the one true and good king. But here's the thing. We think we know how to rule our lives pretty good for ourselves. And what were the things that those people back in those days were wrestling with? They had different gods that were over different parts of their life. Money, power, sex, fertility, success. Luckily, we don't have any of those problems today. (laughs) And our hearts are not prone to go after other gods like money, power, sex, and success. Oh, wait. I I know those things as well. He's saying, look, above all of these things, I am the one that you can trust. I am the one that you should be wholly devoted to. And this is what Pastor Kyle talked about last week. What does it mean 
to truly love God. It means it's a duty of loyal and devoted affection. And we know what that's like, right? Because we have the picture of marriage. We know that it's a choice. It's something that we choose to do. It's a duty that we take on, that we execute with devoted affection because it takes our whole self, right? Every aspect of ourself. I have to actually tell my body to be devoted to my wife, to not be distracted, to love her, to sacrifice for her, to hear her and actually do what it is that she's saying. It takes every part of my being to be devoted in an affectionate way. This is the same kind of life and relationship that God wants to have with us. One that is a duty that we've chosen, but with devoted affection, just like a marriage, just like kids learn to respond to their parents' respect and honor. But we know with kids it's something that's learned and earned over time. And God knows this about us, and so he is a patient in learning it and us learning it. Um, He will do that. But the big picture is that it is our whole self. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Your whole life, your inner being, we're going to talk about the heart, the inner inside of us, uh, your whole soul, everything that you have, that you get your body, your whole self, every part of you, every relationship that you have, and your domain, your might, the sphere in which you have influence, your whole self is to be devoted to him in affection. Let's talk about the heart and verse 6 here. It's a simple instruction, and this is the thing that I think I really want us to understand about how God sees us. He knows we need it simple, and sometimes we just, we just overcomplicate it. Verse 6 says this, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What does on your heart mean? Let's talk about the heart first. First and foremost, that word is in Hebrew, Hebrew is this cool language where they use the same word to describe a whole bunch of things. So my son is here with me today. His name is Caleb. And so Caleb in Hebrew means Caleb, a name of a person. It also physically means a dog. And it also means metaphorically faithful. And we know the story of Caleb in the scriptures that when he saw the promised land, he was of the older generation, he saw the promised land and said, you know what, there's giants in the land, but the land is good and I trust the Lord, let's go take it. And he was faithful. And so the Hebrew language uses the same word to describe different things. That a person as an example, like Caleb, uh, a quality or characteristic, like faithful, and then something practical, like a dog. And you can see how dog and faithful and Caleb in terms of the story of Caleb, all three of those things are very connected. Caleb was faithful to God. A dog is a faithful companion. It means faithfulness. So it means all of those things. The heart is a very similar kind of word. It has a physical meaning, and it just means the thump in your chest. So take your hand, put it over your heart. Do you feel the thump? Well, I hope you do. (laughs) There's a thump inside your chest. There's something going on. Where is that coming from? Inside, right? There's something, there's something beating, driving inside your body. The heart, that thump. And the word means physically the thump in your chest, the beating in your chest. But it also is, t- is telling you something that they knew that there's something inside of humans that drives them, that moves them forward. Can you think about the domain of the things that you might think of as being on your inside? Like, 
What is happening inside of you? Well, usually for us, we actually think about this thing, right? Because they didn't, they didn't have the same uh, scientific knowledge about the brain, right? So in many ways, what we associate in the modern world with our brain is what they would think about as their heart. So it's, it's my thoughts, my feelings, my desires, those things that are inside of me driving me every day, the things that shape where I'm going and what I'm doing. That's what they would think of as the heart. And so it's very simple. That's the inner thing that's going on. And it says uh, that we need to put his commands, his revelation on our heart. That word is very simple. It means to reflect, to meditate, to memorize in order to understand. Now, how simple is this instruction? First of all, let's just note that God gets that the first time we hear his revelation, what are we not going to do? Understand. We're not going to understand. It's going to take careful reflection, meditation upon what he's saying to really internalize what's going on. And there's a concept um, in what's called developmental theology, the idea of the way that we attach to God and get to know God that's called our God concept versus our God image. And you can think about it in this way, that the God concept is like the truths that we think about God. So we think things are true about God, but we haven't internalized them into an image of God where we will respond as if they are true. Have you ever believed something about God and then found that you don't actually do or behave in a way that matches that truth? Have you ever seen that disconnect in yourself? Yes, of course. All of us have that. And that's the, the idea that it takes time to learn in relationship to trust someone. And we all know this from our own experiences. God is not different than we experience in relationship. It takes time to build trust, to build attachment, to anticipate what our spouse or our kids or our friends want. But you know when you get into that rhythm and you kind of start to have the same kind of thoughts and you can sort of have that nice clicking conversation with somebody? And it's just, it's fun, right? It's relationally fun to be on the same page as someone else. God wants that kind of relationship with us where we're relationally on the same page. But it takes that kind of investment. Just like you spend time getting to know someone, uh, doing activities with them, sharing life with them, it takes that same kind of effort to develop that kind of relational connection and attachment to God. And he recognizes that our heart doesn't want to naturally do that. It, it's not something, it's, a, it's an ongoing problem. And here's the crazy thing to think, is that Moses was writing probably like 3,500 years ago. And Jesus is a good ways off, right? 1,500 years off, probably, about, ballpark. It's ancient times, we don't know precisely. But about 1,500 years away. And so he's giving this very simple instruction to these people. Look, do you want to know how to love God with your heart? Simply reflect, meditate, and memorize his revelation to you remembering that he is your saving king who brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of slavery, brought you this beautiful land that you get to live in. This saving king is the one who wants to get to know you and to teach you how to think and act like him. Spend time with him through his revelation and keeping it on your heart. And if you read the next few verses uh, in the scripture as Kyle did this morning, there's some other just basics about like, hey, do you hang the words on, your, on the wall so you can see them? Do you memorize them or read them to your children over and over again? Very practical application of how do we reflect, meditate, and memorize on his revelation. But Moses also knew there was a problem. 
The heart is not easily tamed. The heart is not easily attached to God. And there is a fundamental thing inside that's broken about the human experience. And so he actually talks about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, he says this, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Stubborn. Humans on the inside are stubborn. We want to get our way. And the heart is the place, right? Our thoughts, our feelings, and our desires are not easily given up, are not easily submitted to someone else. And he recognizes that at the heart level, there's a problem with us that we want to kick against God's way. And so ultimately, this word about stubbornness, it's often translated in the Old Testament as stiff-necked, which I kind of like because I think it shows like the way that I kind of want to get my way. Like I want to hold on to it and keep it for myself. And like I'll maybe work with God as long as it kind of works for me too. You know that kind of attitude? And isn't that our way with like relationships and other people as well? I'll stick with this as long as it works for me. That's that kind of stiff-necked attitude. Jesus picks up on this in the New Testament when he talks about how his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we, we know the kind of basic function of a yoke was to get an old ox to work alongside a young ox so that the young ox would learn how to kind of stay the straight path to plow the field. And so they would yoke the two, two ox together and the young ox would learn from the old ox. And what would the young ox do? It would kick against the goad, right? It would push and kick and it would have a stiff neck and try to go the other way. And Jesus says, just come alongside me, trust me, don't be stiff necked, don't kick against the goad, walk with me. Because my way is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus was specifically coming to deal with our stiff neckedness the brokenness in our heart that we needed to be, had some surgery. I mean, this is a pretty graphic surgery out of the text, right? Circumcision is pretty graphic. And there's something that seriously needs to be tamed in the human heart. And even Moses, 3,500 years ago, through God's revelation, knew that the people of God in that time were not going to be able to fulfill the will of God because of this problem at a heart level. And so he gave us a promise, and it, this actually is at the end of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 30, it says this, uh, Deuteronomy 30, verses 6 through 10. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. This is why I said Kyle gave me the hard part, because there's not, once you get the heart going in the right direction, your soul and your might can come along because your, your heart is the thing that's driving you, right, on the inside. Some of us might even think of it as the will. You know, the will is what I'm choosing to do. And so the will is the thing that I'm, I'm focusing on a certain way. Will I surrender my will to God? Will I be willing to go his way? Um, and once you get the heart aligned with God, the rest tends to follow. There's some issues there and some complications, but ultimately the fundamental problem is our heart. And Moses says, God's going to take care of it. He will circumcise our heart. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments I command you today. 
The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand and the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you. He took delight in your fathers because Moses anticipates that the people will reject God. He's actually anticipating that the kingdom of Jerusalem is going to fall. They're going to go into exile. They're going to become captives of another king because they won't trust God as the saving king of, his li- of their lives as God intends. And so we're on the other side of that. And when you obey the voice of your Lord your God to keep his commandments, his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that will eventually do that. And here's the beauty of this. In verse 10, when it says, when you obey the voice of the Lord, it's actually the same word, Shema, hear, O Israel. So here, here it is, and... Uh, you need to obey. You need to do what he's saying. So what do we do? We need to consent to surgery. We just need to say, God, I trust you. You're my savoring king. Um, and uh, it will definitely, um, it will work. He'll do the work on your heart so that you're ready and able um, to serve him. And that's the, that's the goal of what we have. Um, so we can do that consent. That's our, that's our part. And this is the final verse here in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For the, this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. So again, what do we talk about? The simplicity of what it means to put God's revelation on our heart. First and foremost, uh, we need to choose to trust the saving king. Choose to trust the saving king. He saved the people out of slavery. He saved us from our sin. Jesus was resurrected um, from the dead that we might be made free from our sin that we might trust him. That's what we uh, first do. And so what's the first thing that you do in the morning? And this is my invitation to you is that I think it's as simple as this, is that in the morning, first thing, you declare your allegiance to the saving king. And I, I love the simple phrase of the, the blind men on the road when Jesus was walking by, Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me. And I've just, I've just practiced that phrase over and over in my mind that most mornings, by God's grace, when I open my eyes, when the alarm goes off, and I think, ugh, I gotta get up, my next response is, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. I put him in a place of, of, of kingship in my life, that he's the Lord of my life, and I recognize that I need his mercy to be able to endure the day, because I can't do it on my own. My heart needs to be in line with him. And I need him to do that work on the inside. So simple, straightforward, how do I put it on my heart? I declare my allegiance to him. Romans talks about that um, instead of us giving thanks to God um, in response to the life that we have, we decided to worship other things and pursue other things. And so maybe for you, that simple prayer doesn't make sense. But for you, maybe you just want to simply say thanks to God for whatever whatever gift you've received. And so maybe in the morning, it's remembering and thinking back to the day before and saying, God, thanks so much for this yesterday. Whatever it is, small thing. It's one of the practices that we do as a church um, is that when we gather together, we kick off our time by saying, hey, what's, what's your appreciation for the week? What did you appreciate? And people share small things, big things. What did the scriptures say? Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father in heaven, right? And so we just say thanks. So maybe that prayer doesn't work, but maybe appreciation works. Maybe thanks works. It's just a way to respond to God in thanks for life, recognizing him as the Lord and king of our life. But secondly, let's not forget 
that the simple instruction here in verse 6 was that his command shall be on our heart. So not only do we first declare our allegiance to him and our need for his mercy in dealing with our unruly hearts, but we need to just simply reflect, meditate, and memorize on his revelation that we might understand. And I love, I love the graciousness of the fact that he thinks we won't understand first, right? It's, it's not like I'm coming to get the answers or to be 100% certain. It's coming with a humility that says, God, there's more that I need to learn. There's more that I need to understand. And for me personally right now, my practice is simply just reading a psalm every morning. I read it out loud because I want to bring, and Kyle will talk about this in future weeks, I want to bring my body and my soul and everything with me along, right? So I say it out loud so that my ears can hear it. But I know that the issue is my heart because it is really hard to do. Like, have you ever tried to just pray every morning? It is hard. Why? Because our hearts are stubborn, stiff-necked. And so I've just tried to keep it as simple as possible, which is I'll just go to the next psalm and I'll start reading it out loud because usually by the time I get to the end of the psalm, my heart has softened a little bit and I'm more open to what God has for me that day. Um, and the psalms are a beautiful way to be honest about how you feel and how you think and what you're struggling with because the psalmist is saying those things for himself. How long, O oh Lord, is it going to be like this? Why does it seem like the evil prosper? Aren't these the thoughts that we have in our head and that are kind of getting us angsty? It's because our heart is a little bit not trusting of God. And we don't believe that he's really doing that work. But by the end of declaring the truths that the psalmist knows about God, his heart softens. And he says, but as for me, I will praise the Lord. Amen. Right? So he starts in honesty and truth, and he ends in praise and dependence upon God as the saving king. So I think these are two just very simple ways to understand that there are drivers inside of us, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, that kick against God, but that if we will simply declare our allegiance to him and meditate and reflect on his word that we might understand it better in humility, that the heart comes along and so does the rest of our life, that we can love God with our whole person in a way that is loyal and affectionate to him because we're grateful for what he's done. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we declare that you are our Lord, that you are our king. You have won the victory for us over sin, and we are grateful. We are grateful that you can do surgery on our heart and teach us to love you and know you in the way that you want. And God, we ask for your help this week. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord, because we, we are stubborn and stiff-necked people. But help us to just graciously spend time with you and your word that we might understand you more and that we might trust you more that we might enjoy you more. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.